You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, we're starting our community groups in just about a month, and uh, we are looking for leaders. So uh, how many of you uh, lead something? Would you raise your hand? You lead people in some way, shape, form, or another? Ra- raise your hand. Very few leaders in the room. Let's try that again. Anybody lead anybody? Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is consider being a leader here at the church. And so how we do that is our staff coaches team leaders uh, to looks for uh, natural and spiritual leadership gifts and then uh, helps them get into a place where they can help lead a team of individuals. Here at North Valley, we like to say teamwork makes the dream work. And so uh, leaders need a, uh, teams need a leader and, uh, and leaders need a team. And if a leader is leading but nobody's following, that leader's just going on a walk. That's all he's doing. And so uh, what I want to encourage you to do, uh, help us to build one of our most important primary uh, discipleship environments where you're going to grow in your faith and people in our church are going to grow is through a a community group. And so uh, as we're doing this teaching series, uh, uh, we're going to have a few weeks where we're going to highlight and talk about the importance of community groups. Today I'm speaking about the leaders and those that maybe would say, hey, I'll facilitate the group. It's always a sermon-based discussion. So whatever you learn on Sunday is what is going to be facilitated and discussed throughout the week. These groups gather co-ed throughout all of uh, the week in different people's homes. Maybe you've got a great home and you've got a great ministry of hospitality. Maybe you could open that up and that partner with a leader to facilitate. And typically we're looking for a husband-wife combo that's a part of our church, loves Jesus, loves the church, and loves people. And so uh, if that's you, I want to encourage you to connect with Pastor Joshua right over here in the corner uh, after service, and we'd love to help uh, explore that possibility. That'd be a really encouraging time. So How many of you would say your life has been deeply impacted by community, by somebody else, by other people in your life? Would you raise your hand for me? Yeah, and this happens so much in the context of a church where folks that join the community groups are the ones that actually, I think, experience uh, the benefits and the blessings of being a part of a local church the most. And so I'm glad you're here and learning. And uh, as we are diving into some incredible topics today, we're talking about the unapologetic truth about marriage and parenting. Specifically, we're on the topic of marriage. Last week, I introduced the foundation of marriage. And this week, I've got my wife as a special guest. She'll come up in a little bit, and she's going to talk to you about what does it look like to be a respectful wife. So I've got a couple of books. Uh, These are from my personal library, and I'm going to give those out after the service uh, for first come, first serve for those of you that are guests. Um, my name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor, founding pastor of the church, and we're glad to have you here. For the rest of you that made it back from summer vacation, welcome back. Uh, this is going to be a great uh, series for us together. So let me pray for us, and we're, we're going to get into today's message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity and the encouragement that we find. We want to align our lives more to your word. Uh, help us to think deeply and think intelligently about what it looks like for a biblical uh, marriage and how uh, we can uh, embrace that because your ways are always better than our ways. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I think there's three different options for uh, today's Christian marriages. Uh, One that I see oftentimes is I call it the free-for-allers. And this uh, option of marriage is the idea that basically the husband and the wife, they just kind of don't really have, they they love each other, they care for each other, but they could fight a lot. And this can turn out to be like what I would call a cage match, a a free for all. There's no designated head, there's no designated leader, whoever's got the strongest personality wins. Um, and so this is uh, the free-for-all marriage. This is the last uh, woman or man standing determines who's going to fulfill what, I, what we're going to learn about, a biblical role called a headship. The headship. Let's all say that together. Headship. That is a biblical theological word. Um, things that have formed my theology over the years are biblical words. 
Um, when biblical words come into play that don't make sense in today's culture and time, uh, then you should wrestle with the meaning to seek to understand it because this idea of headship is huge. And, and uh, many marriages choose a free-for-all, and so whoever is the leader of the home is kind of the one who's got the strongest personality or the most competent or earns the most money or whatever be the case. Um, that's not a good option. There's another option called the egalitarians. Um, this is a very popular widespread idea within Christian theology. Egalitarians, you, you can kind of hear the word egalitarians meaning equal. Um, this is the idea uh, that asserts that both the wife and the husband are equal in value and equal in their roles at home, church, at work, etc. This is a, uh, there's, to me, I see this as a very valuable, very effective, very encouraging um, uh, position that many uh, Christian marriages take. However, I see it more as a half-truth because the Bible actually affirms that the roles between a man and a woman, specifically in marriage, are completely uh, different. There can be some shared roles and responsibilities, but we're going to talk about the differences of a role. Where this position is correct is the idea that the, the man and the woman are created equal. Genesis 127, foundational theological bedrock scripture for this position, which I would agree with. It says that God made male and female in his image. Uh, the Bible affirms as well in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, there, we're all one in Jesus Christ. We have equal stand, standing before God. God values the wife just as much as he values the husband. God values the male just as he values the female. There's an equal value, however, in biblical theological truth, I would propose to you that there's a very strong difference in the role, according to the Bible, at home, at church, and work. So what's the position that we hold to at North Valley? Teach, preach, and model, and exemplify? We teach what's called the complementarian view. This is the idea where you get the key word that it's, you're supposed to complement one another. You're supposed to complete, uh, you're supposed to uh, uh, complement one another, not compete with one another. This idea affirms that both the husband and the wife are equal in their values, yet they're different in their roles at home, at church, and at work. So what this position holds to, ladies and gentlemen, is everything that the first position held to with the equality issue, that men and women are created equal, but it says something that's very true to biology, very true to the biblical text, is that men and women are just different. And what we have going on in our culture is an effort to be the same. If you pick up the new Barbie, the Barbie looks very different than the way she did a long time ago. She looks far more masculine than she ever did. Men are being encouraged to be feminine. Women are being encouraged to be masculine. There is a blending and a distortion of the, of the gender differences. Uh, God's created men uh, different than he's created women. God's created the husband to be equal in value but different in role. God's created the wife to be equal in value but different in role. This is such a powerful theological statement, equal in value, different in role. I want to say it together. Equal in value, different in role. Let's say that again. Equal in value, different in role. That's what I would say is the clear context for what we're going to be learning today. And this idea, by the way, is not just a Protestant idea. Um, Pope John Paul, in a letter to the uh, Catholic Church concerning women, uh, made several complementarian statements, the position that I hold to, uh, and many of you do. Uh, while there's incredible uh, significant theological differences and distinctions between Catholics and Protestants, um, I would say that when it comes to affirming the role of uh, seeing a complementary relationship between male and female, uh, the Catholics and the Protestants actually have a lot in common. At least Pope John Paul did. He said this, indeed, from the very first pages of the Bible, God's plan is marvelously expressed. 
Um, he willed that there should be a relationship of profound communion between a man and a woman in a perfect reciprocity of knowledge and giving of self. Furthermore, he stated, there is a natural uh, complementarity that exists between a man and a woman. Uh, this is uh, something that will really help bless your marriage. If you can see that there's, uh, our marriages are designed not to, uh, to compete with one another, but to complement one another. The husband brings something that's special and unique, God-given by his masculinity that the female cannot provide. Um, God brings something to the woman, the female, in the role of a wife that the husband, the male, cannot provide. There is something powerful and mysterious and the way God has even built his entire uh, 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 population of mankind is in these complementary roles. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna define uh, the biblical roles of headship um, and we'll jump into that. So what is headship? Here's what I would say. Headship is a divine calling for a husband to provide unconditional love for his wife. Um, let's say that together. Headship is a divine calling for a husband to provide unconditional love for his wife. So this is the vision, this is the model that a husband is to provide this unconditional love for his wife. Not when her, his wife acts like she's deserving of the love. No, it's an unconditional love. And the picture and the paradigm the, 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 uh, of uh, perfection that we find is Jesus Christ, how he laid down his life for his bride. This is what I'll teach on next week, the biblical role of headship for husbands. Um, so today I, I ha I'm starting with wives, and so I'm really sorry. Um, some would say ladies first, um, but I, I also think that the Apostle Paul deals with it, as you'll see uh, first and foremost with the wives, uh, and we'll, um, I'll invite Leslie up for that part. The other part in a complementary uh, role in marriage is the idea of submission. Submission is a buzzword that people do not like today, but a biblical idea of submission for the wife is a divine calling for a wife to provide unconditional respect for her husband. Doesn't that sound, why does submission sound so, uh, um, why is there a cringe factor with the word submission? I'll tell you why. Because a three-letter word called sin, right? Because there's so many domineering, rude, mean, egotistical, uh, narcissist men that have abused the role of headship and dominate through submission. This is why you have Me Too movements. This is why you have Black Lives Matter saying publicly, at least they did in times past, that they're seeking to dismantle the traditional headship role within marriage. Why? Because sin has distorted everything. Ever since sin entered the world, the idea of headship has been screwed up. The idea of submission has been screwed up. So it's a blurry, frustrating situation where there's abuses on both sides. So what you typically get in these abuses, which started with Adam and Eve, is that husbands typically tend or trend towards extremes. They become domineering dictators. Or they go to the other extreme and they become the passive, wimpy, soft males. And so then the wife's like, well, I gotta take charge because he doesn't do anything. Uh, but what about the wife? What's happened as a result of the biblical idea of submission because of sin? Well, what tends and trends and happens is that oftentimes a wife can become, if there's a domineering dictator as a husband, she can become the darling doormat. She becomes incredibly passive and permissive and endorses or enables wrong and sinful dysfunctional behavior and lets it go on. Or she fights back and becomes the controlling critic. And she's... Uh, 
she doesn't know how to respond to the idea of submission, and she wouldn't want to respond to the idea of submission with this guy. And so she becomes this controlling person in the marriage and is constantly criticizing. Some of you have got some pretty tough marriages. Um, some of you are going through a really hard time. And, and I don't know your whole situation, but I do know this. God's good news for you and me is that we can have a fresh start all the time with God. That we can get a new start over, a do-over with God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this idea of um, what the Bible says about this, these roles. I'm going to invite Leslie up in just a little bit. But let's look at what does the Apostle Paul have to say about marriage. Let's look at him. I think we respect the Apostle Paul here at this church. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 5, through 33. He says, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's read that together. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to what? The Lord. This is why I would push the idea of Ephesians and the idea of submission as a divine calling. You're not doing it because he earned this gift that you're giving him, wives. You're doing it because it's an act of obedience to the Lord. God is trying to order things. He's trying to order the relationship. So Paul has this idea. Uh, the Greek word is hupatasso. It means to, be, to obey or to bring under control. Uh, it's mentioned some 38 different times in the New Testament. You're going to see the Apostle Peter affirms the same idea. This is not a foreign concept, this idea of submission. It's not a, a result of some kind of controlling, egotistical, uh, hyper-inflated view of man's uh, self generated by culture. No, submission, ladies and gentlemen, is a biblical, uh, divine calling for a wife to provide to her husband. Now, notice it says wives submit to your own husbands. It doesn't say wives, you need to submit to other people's husbands. Um, while submission is, there is a, a sense of submission for all Christians, this is a specific level of submission that's only for the husband. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is himself its savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You're like, Everything? Well, that's what he says. I didn't say it. So then what if he's doing bad? What if he's doing something crazy? How do you deal with that? Uh, we're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to have Leslie help answer and respond to some of those things. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having, uh, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, uh, washing of the water with the word so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkles such anything that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who Loves his wife, loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one, what? Flesh. So there's a union in that. Paul says this is a mystery, it's profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you uh, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her, what? Husband. Oh, we got to go to the next, next slide there. So here's what I want to point out to you on this is that uh, notice I'm going to point out from Bible study methods, I just uh, did, looked at this this week, is the law of proportion. Um, what we did is we just covered 12 verses uh, perhaps you remember and recall submission more than anything, but guess what? There's only two verses that were provided by the Apostle Paul's teaching on to the wife. There's actually three verses on marriage, and we just covered seven verses on the husband. What's the idea here? Well, I think just logically looking at it, the, the, the men received three times the level of instruction that the wife received from the Apostle Paul, and I think the implication is, men, is you need a little more help. That's what it is. 
Um, so w- biblical marriages, what are they? Biblical marriages commit to providing unconditional love and respect in the relationship. That's what we're looking at. Um, we're looking at biblical marriages committing to provide unconditional love and respect in the relationship. That's the calling. That's what we're supposed to do, men. And we're going to get into that next week. This week, we're looking at respect and how the wife provides the respect that's needed. And it's an unconditional. Colossians 3.18 says this, wives, submit to your own husband um, as is fitting in the Lord. Let's jump to that passage just for a moment. Uh, The apostle Paul echoes this in Colossians 3.18. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting um, in the Lord. Again, it's this reaffirmation. This isn't like Paul's isolated ideas. He continually teaches this concept. And then he challenges husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And we're going to get to that more next week. But what about the apostle Peter? What did he have to say about marriage? Let's look at that just for a moment. He says, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5, classic text for us all to look at. He says, likewise, uh, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Um, that word subject is very, very similar to the idea of the Greek word hupatasso, uh, which means to submit. He says, to your own husbands, again, it's to a husband, not to just any random person, um, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What's going on here? Uh, the apostle Peter is urging wives that are married to ungodly or unchristian men to go ahead and submit and be respectful even if they're not a Christian. And that we, you have a role and a responsibility, ladies, if you're married to an unbeliever You're supposed to stay in that marriage, love that man, and show him respect wherever you can show respect. You can respectfully disagree, uh, and you submit as long as he's not calling you to submit to something that's ungodly or unrighteous, but you follow his lead, even if he's not a believer. And how do you do that? You do it unto the Lord is how you do that. And then uh, the Apostle Peter writes, and he talks about beauty for the wife, and he says, do not let your adorning, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart uh, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. Uh, God thinks this is very precious. Uh, A woman who's not trying to take charge uh, in the marriage, but she's asking her man to speak up. Uh, This affirms men, ladies. You want to win the heart of your man and have a more loving husband? Be more respectful and invite him to speak up and speak into issues. When Leslie does that and she says, hey, uh, we're going to have to talk, uh, uh, kids, with dad before we make this kind of decision, that elevates me in my role. That gives me a a place of authority and encouragement, sense of responsibility. Continuing on, he he closes it out, and uh, he gives an example. Uh, Peter's going to point back to uh, God's work in the Old Testament, verse 5. He says, this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So the idea of submission is in the Old Testament. The idea of submission is in the New Testament. The example he's referring to is Sarah. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to uh, just uh, open up the, the opportunity to bring Leslie up. And uh, will you welcome my wife? We've been married 20 years. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. Thank you, Leslie. So 20 plus years of marriage now, sweetie. I've had you on the stage a number of different times. And uh, thank you for being here again today. You're welcome. Oh, is this for me or for you? For you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sounding like I've been a chain smoker, huh? (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe I have. Maybe you guys don't know that about me. So 20 years we've been married. 20 years. In December will be 20 years. So, and let's sit a little closer. Uh, This feels a little too far away. We're uh, planning for Hawaii. Very excited. I've never been there before. And in honor of marriage, today I wore my boots. You did. So you these, look great. Thank you. These boots were made for dancing, and actually they're an investment into our marriage. So 
we decided 20 years of marriage is time to spice it up. You know, we need something fun to look forward to together. So we started taking country swing lessons. Right. I think they opened up the stillery. I don't know if you guys yep. have been there or not. We tried it out. We're like, oh, this is fun. And so, yeah. but um, we're going and doing a little dancing. Yeah. YouTube actually helps us a lot. That's yeah. probably the safest place to learn how to dance is YouTube. Yeah. Yep. Harold's will be Harold's in a few weeks. My kids are like, look at mom and dad. Look at this. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so question is, I know that's probably on the heart and the mind of folks, is like, how does a wife submit if her husband doesn't feel like he, or from the outside in, it doesn't look like he's worth submitting to? Or how does a wife respect her husband when he's not even very respect-worthy? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's a hard question. So I just want to start by saying that marriage is hard. It's hard work. And when you start getting into that place where you realize, yeah, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. That's when you start to feel the marriage isn't just about my happiness, but it is also about my holiness. And that's where submission comes in. Submission is part of holiness, and it's God's design for marriage. And actually, submission is the how to be a wife. So we're called to honor and respect our husbands. And in fact, submission is not just a suggestion in the Bible, it's a command. And um, we're accountable, first and foremost, to Jesus. So, you know, being submissive is being obedient. And I don't know about you ladies, but I want to walk in obedience. And I want to get to heaven one day and hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, you know, I think submission is a command regardless of whether or not he deserves it. And, you know, if your husband's in sin, you don't follow him into sin. You can have boundaries and you respectfully express your boundaries. And I think it's important to realize that you can't change him. The only person you can change and control is yourself. And the best way to get his attention is actually through respect, like Ryan was sharing. And so when you show him respect, you can actually like, treat him like the man you want him to be, and you're calling him to a higher standard. And then you just have to trust the Lord to change him, because it's the Lord that does the heart change, and it's the Holy Spirit that does the changing. So, and Leslie's had to do a lot of trusting, you know. <laughs> so, uh, no, and I've changed tremendously. I mean, driving down the road yesterday with Maya, we're listening to a song. My daughter, she's 11. And she's singing this really cool song about the power of Jesus Christ to change people's lives. And I paused and I said, but I want to pause the song and just tell you, it was an NF song. Those of you like NF, it's, the song's called Start Over really powerful song and it talks about how we can all start over with God and I paused it and I said can I tell you like God gave me another chance and he changed my life Maya and because I'm a pastor and because she's a pastor's daughter she's like dad you don't have to preach after every little song we have <laughs> she's like you do that at church okay so just you don't have to do I'm like no no hear this out but change is a part of the process. And yeah. then when Leslie trusts the Lord and prays and encourages me, it helps me. And I, I would say we've changed, right, for the last 20 years, like yeah. every year. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. And I would also add that, you know, women as our role, we are the helper. And God has given us a special strength as women. And we have this innate sense of fighting for the people we love. You know that saying, like, don't mess with the mama bear? We'll fight for our kids. We'll fight for our husbands. We'll fight for the people we love. And so, you know, on the other hand, the, there's a real enemy, Satan, and he wants us to struggle with fear. And when we struggle with fear, that's when we become controlling and dominating or on the other hand, passive like a doormat. And so, you know, I would encourage you recognize that fear, but lean into your inner strength, lean into the Lord and fight for your husband and fight to be respectful, even if you don't think he deserves it. You know, it's easy to love kind people, but it's character building to love the people that are hard to love. And nagging and demanding won't create the loving husband you want, but respect will. So here's a practical exercise. This is a little bit of a stretch, but imagine... This is, this is crazy. She told me this. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds, that sounds good. That sounds fun. I've been trying this myself, okay? So imagine you're talking to your husband as if you were talking to Jesus. 
Okay, so your husband's not Jesus, Ryan's not Some Jesus. Some ladies are going, no way, no way. He ain't Jesus, that's for sure. But imagine how you would talk to Jesus. Like, how would you talk to Jesus when he gets home at the end of the day from a long day's work? How would your, what would your attitude be like in your tone of voice if you were talking to Jesus? How would you disagree with Jesus? You know, Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. Yep. I think, too, um, when you think about the Bible and how you treat other people, this isn't a foreign idea, what Leslie's bringing in. Remember when Jesus said regarding the poor and the needy, he said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto what? Me. So I think there's some truth in that. And also, if you think back and you go back to the Ephesians passage, or I'm sorry, the first Peter passage that I just had pointed out, um, 1 Peter 3, uh, 6, uh, um, the apostle Peter gives the illustration that Sarah actually called Abraham Lord, which you're like, some of you um, men are like, yeah, that sounds good. Lord Ryan, Lord so-and-so. But if you think about the idea of, of Lord is that it was a very respectful, honoring term. And the idea there is that, um, ladies, that your man needs honor and, um, and so showing that is very, it's a very, I think, a practical way to do that. And then remember, men, I'll talk to you next week, but uh, you need to be thinking about your marriage as you're going to the cross. You're laying down your whole life. You're supposed to die uh, so that you can have a better marriage. And so we'll get to that next week. So let's jump in, Leslie. How, how, why, how can wives be submissive and show respect? What would you say, number one? Recognize his role. Recognize his role. So here's a great passage of 1 Corinthians 11.3. What I'm pointing at is the idea of the role of headship. Everybody say headship. Headship. This is a biblical, theological idea that builds marriages. If you don't have headship in your home, you don't got a good home. So here's what Paul says. For I want you to understand that the head of every man is who? Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. What is the Apostle Paul doing? He's showing you that submission is just a part of how all of the Christian life works. He says that Jesus Christ, in a sense, models submission in submitting his will to God the Father. Uh, we just sang about that just a moment ago. Joshua uh, has done such a great job on picking songs that really line up with what were the truths that we're teaching. But Jesus Christ modeled submission. He's equal in value to God the Father, but he's different in his role. So think about that. Jesus is not inferior. Jesus is equal with God the Father, but he's different in his role. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. So there's a submission there, and then the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus, God the Father, Uh, The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus and God the Father. So even in the Trinity, you have submission working. Submission is a part of the Christian life. The church is called to submit to Jesus Christ. Uh, Church leaders are called to submit to Christ. So in our staff and our pastors, like our boss is Jesus. He's the CEO of the whole church. Church members are called to submit to church, uh, church members are called to submit to church leaders. And according to Paul, all Christians are actually told to submit to governing authorities, even if they're bad, Romans chapter 13. Um, and so submission is just a normal part of it. So here's the question, Leslie, let's talk about how can a wife sh- show or recognize her husband's role in the headship idea with the family and the marriage? Mm-hmm. Well, practically, I would say you recognize his role by deferring to him. You know, I try to make it a practice when I'm talking to the kids. Oh, well, let me talk to dad before we make any decisions and plans. When I'm making plans with my friends, I try to say, well, let me talk to Ryan and I'll get back to you. I think affirm him and praise him in front of the kids, in front of other people. You can recognize his role by serving him. I would say don't compare him to other men. That's a hard one for women you know we struggle with comparison we compare ourselves we compare our kids we compare our husbands so focus on his positive strengths to find contentment so you don't struggle with comparison um you know i would say recognize his role by seeking to understand the weight of his responsibilities that verse in ephesians 5 23 that says for the husband is the head of the wife well, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, but 
The head of every man is Christ. That's a big deal. Men are responsible to Jesus for how they lead the family. So they have, they're the provider, they're pr the protector. Like they do have a lot of weight and responsibilities that they carry. So seek to understand how much weight your husband's carrying. Process with him, encourage him, empower him. Yeah, and I think about, you know, it, we do Mexico missions all the time. And the way we approach that, a lot of times we'll give a lot of gifts away uh, to the family. And what we try to do is to make sure that um, we're doing it in such a way that it's not going to bring dishonor or shame to the husband, the father. Um, because why is that? Because innately in every man is this desire to provide and do something. And um, we don't want to go against his will and his desires. We want to work with it. And I think um, there's something in every man that wants to be recognized for the, the, the weight that he is feeling, um, that he senses a responsibility for the family. He senses a responsibility for his kids. He senses a responsibility for his marriage. At least he ought to. Um, and by the way, God does too. When a family is dysfunctional or a marriage is dysfunctional, do you know who God blames? He blames the man. Uh, when you think about Adam and Eve and what happened there, Eve gets this idea and suggests it to Adam. So that's a sin in suggesting. And then Adam gives in and says, yeah, let's do that and goes against God's will and plan. But then later in the scripture, when we're looking at Adam and Eve and the beginning of sin into all into the first marriage, the Apostle Paul blames Adam. He says that sin entered through one man. That's what he says. And he's pointing back to Adam. And so my point is, guys, is that there's something inside of us that's called us to be responsible for our marriages. Something inside of us that calls us to be responsible for our family. You got a dysfunctional family? I'll show you a dysfunctional husband. You got a dysfunctional marriage? I'll show you a dysfunctional uh, husband. Um, so, so much of this, and ladies, when you're recognizing his role, there's just this divine design that he feels called, whether he knows it or not, to um, be a leader, to, to lead the home, to lead the family. Because all the men love to work and lead at, at work. Most of them do, at least. But at home, it's, it's very touchy. It's very hard. Um, so, second, how can a wife show respect and model submission? Mm -hmm. Regard his work. Regard his work. And that's exactly what I, I just said. And so let me show you this. Regarding his work, remember, uh, gentlemen, this is Bible and theology for you 101 on work. The Bible says that God, the Lord God, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and he put him where? Read it for me. In the in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to, to keep it. Right, let me, let's think about this just for a moment. Back up and just think with me. We've learned, right, when you look at Genesis, that Adam was created first. He's alone. He's in the garden. He's put there to work it and to keep it. His work is not with people. He's not working with any people. He's working dirt. He's working trees. He's working plants. He's working with animals. That's what he's doing. And then God says, it's not good that you're alone. Man didn't think it wasn't that bad. He probably was like, this is pretty good. I like working. This is why you have so many men at work. They love their work. Why? Because they're designed to work. But then what does God say about that? Hey, you're not supposed to be alone. You're supposed to be with somebody else. The Bible says that God speaks up to Adam while he's alone, while he's in a garden. He's working. And by the way, work is not a result of the fall. This is before sin has ever entered the world. Work is a part of a man's like desire and drive to do something, to accomplish something. So men are just alone. They're, he, man is just alone building, working on stuff. And then all of a sudden, think about Eve. What about Eve? Well, when she's created, as soon as she's created, she's not alone. She's with somebody. She's got Adam right beside him, her. She's in the garden. She's put there to help. Her work is not with things, with dirt, or with trees, but with a person. 
And then they're given a command to be fruitful and multiply. Here's my point. Men are geared, designed to work. Men are like heavy Chevys that can pull a heavy load, and they should. Their frames are typically bigger. They're stronger. Um, Work is not a result of the fall. They're designed to do something. So how would you suggest, Leslie, how can a wife regard the work, show respect and honor towards the work? Yeah, I would say you can value his work by listening to him. When he gets home from work at the end of the day, ask him how his day was. Let him debrief, share, and listen. You can pray for him. Uh, when he has an important meeting, pray for it. When, if he needs a, or wants a bonus or a raise, pray for that. Um, I would say encourage him in the areas that you think he's doing good at work. If you see him working hard, encourage him in it. Be involved with his work. Go to his work parties. Maybe you go on a business trip with him. Pack his lunch. Write him a note. And say thank you. Say thank you for all your hard work. I think that, you know, I mean, there's been so many different times. We'll go out to eat, and then every once in a while, Leslie will just say, hey, guys, uh, kids, make sure you thank Dad. He works really hard to make sure we have everything we need. Can you thank Dad? And then they say, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. And it does, it, just, it is encouraging. Or when it's a really tough week and Leslie will say, hey, I know you've had a long, hard week. Let's spend time together. So number three, what would you say is a great way to show respect and, and submission? Respond to his needs. Respond to his needs. This just got PG-13. Okay. So respond to his needs. Um, I find this interesting. Um, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth And uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on before I show you the passage of Scripture. Corinth was a basically an unchristian city. It would be like Las Vegas or something. It was uh, sexocentric, if that's a word. And it is like craze. It's like uh, the church gone wild. And there's a lot of uh, immorality and fornication and prostitution and homosexuality going on. So people get saved. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they're like, okay, we, we can't do that. We can't live like that. Let's live more civilized lifestyles. And then they started teaching this crazy idea that all sex is bad. And even for Christians. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You went way too far. Like, you're not supposed to think all sex is bad. Like, sex is a good thing in the context of marriage. And so this is what he writes, uh, concerning and realizing that there's needs in the marriage. He says, do not deprive one another, uh, except perhaps by an agreement or by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of uh, self-control. Um, what I would like to say is that uh, I, I think, ladies, it would be helpful for you to understand, at least for the man, um, is that um, that need that he has for intimacy, you could relate that to like a hunger need. It's like a craving. Some of you uh, perhaps crave chocolate or you crave a certain food. That's how men are, um, generally speaking, towards intimacy. It's not just a, a great idea. It's like a craving in him. Um, and it's not with just anybody, it's with his spouse. And so um, sex is God's strategy to satisfy a deep, emotional, physical, and spiritual need. That's what it is. It's a, it's a meeting of needs. Uh, research says that 54% of uh, men think about sex every single day. Um, or even um, many, many times a day. Some of you think about sex more than others. Um, And so... Or every hour. Or every hour. Uh, Yes. And uh, so this is what we get. And so uh, we can typically see sex as something like, oh, that's gross, because maybe you came out of an abusive background or something that was ungodly, and you need counseling. Or you may think like sex is like... uh, it's, uh, it's like a God, and you love it, and you worship it, and everything's about it. Well, that's not good either. Sex is supposed to be a good thing in the context of marriage. So, Leslie, what are your thoughts on how a wife can respond to her, her husband's needs? Well, first I have to tell you that Ryan was very strategic having me up here today because in preparation for today, we've been talking about his needs all week long. So... 
Next week we're dealing with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're dealing yeah. with uh, the husband. Yeah, yes, starting tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, and we chose this because of your schedule. Starting tomorrow, <laughs> she said. <laughs> She's counting it down. She's yeah. like zeroing in on it. That's great. So knowing his needs, I would say, first of all, do you know them? Talk about it. So homework assignment today after church, go home and ask your husband what are his needs and then ask him how you're doing meeting those needs. And once you know the needs, like they should be a priority. So make them a priority. And then for extra credit, you could follow up every week and just say, hey, honey, how am I doing meeting your needs? Do you feel like a priority? I think that's incredibly vulnerable for a wife to do that because it's like, oh, snap. I just said that out loud. And But man, is it not freeing for the men to go, I would love to share with you my desire and my needs. And then the wife to go, yeah, I'd love to meet those needs. And you talked about, I don't know if you're going to do it though, about how there's a lot, you can outsource needs. Right, right. Yeah, so physical intimacy in marriage is a gift and it keeps us close. You know, it keeps you close. And so I think that's so important. And um, the thing is, is that as a wife, you are the only person that can meet your husband's physical needs. And we always use that illustration of outsourcing. Like you got your kids need an education so you can send them to school. If you don't feel like cooking, you can get takeout. If you need your house cleaned, you can hire a cleaning lady. If you... Uh, need your clothes clean, you can take them to the dry cleaners, but you can't outsource intimacy. The wife is the only one who can meet her husband's needs. And by doing that, meeting his needs, you are affair-proofing your marriage. You're keeping your marriage protected. And so I would encourage you always be available. Say yes and have realistic expectations. You know, we always say there's magic and there's maintenance. The maintenance is the routine do what you got to do, keep everybody happy, and... Um, Hopefully get, not everybody. Well, keep, keep the husband yeah. and the wife happy and get the job done, yeah. you know? And then there's magic, and magic is special, and magic is when all the stars align. Right, and I think it's important to discern between the two because if you're, if you're just an average person that can kind of look at your marriage and look at the area of your intimate life, if you want everything to be magical all the time, you're just, that's, that's idealistic, it's not realistic. And so we live in a world where there's reality. And, um, but it, it can go a long ways in understanding the two between maintenance and magic is really sweet. Yeah. So, and then, um, okay, so what are some um, things that a wife can do to keep the marriage healthy? What would you say? Yeah, I would say keep your marriage healthy. You need to be healthy. So grow spiritually. Put Jesus first. Spend time with the Lord every day. Maybe it's devotionals. Maybe it's women's Bible study. Spend time in prayer and worship. Um, I would say admit when you're wrong. That's a big one. You know, so we had a situation this week where I was disrespectful to Ryan, and it was actually in public. And so this past week, Ryan was sick, and after two days of being sick, he said he was going to the doctor. And I thought, in my mind, I thought, he doesn't need to go to the doctor. Sometimes I can lack compassion and I can be insensitive. And my attitude was, just suck it up, you know? And so Ryan came back from his doctor appointment and he was telling... But you said this out loud. Yeah, he was okay. telling me and a coworker about his appointment. And I teased him in front of the coworker for going to the doctor. I felt about this big at that point. I felt so guilty. The minute I started saying it, I felt so guilty. And I thought, oh, no, I was totally disrespectful. And so I thought, well, he'll bring it up to me, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll work it out. Well, a couple days went by, and he never brought it up. But the Holy Spirit was working on me, and I repented. And then I brought it to Ryan, and I said, hey, I'm sorry. I was disrespectful and insensitive, and you, will you forgive me? And we talked about it, and he yeah. forgave me. You know, so just it, own it. When, you, when you're wrong, when you make mistakes, which we all do, we're all human, just admit it and apologize, repent, yeah. and receive forgiveness, and then you move on. And honestly, conflict makes the marriage stronger because it rebuilds trust when you work through it. So definitely admit when you're wrong. Um, another way I would say read marriage books. We try to read at least one book a year. Reading them together is great. Spend time together every day with your husband. Um, 
and prioritize date nights. So our favorite thing to do is we like to spend our mornings drinking coffee and doing devos on our front porch. And then we try to have a weekly date night on the back porch once a week. Those are our favorite spot, our front porch and our back porch. Going out is fun too, but you know, it's not always practical. Um, get help if you need it. Wise people ask for help. So I'm constantly seeking wise counsel in the areas of marriage and parenting. So, you know, there's no perfect people. So if you need help, ask for help. Take care of yourself physically. You know, men are very visual. So exercise, eat healthy, uh, get good rest, take care of yourself. And then I would, of course, say have fun, play together, take dance lessons, get creative and spice it up. Yeah, and Leslie, you have done a fantastic job. I mean, I love being married to you. You're a partner in ministry and in life together, and we're going to I, she's so intentional to like plan our, our anniversary trips, our family trips, and it's a huge blessing. And so thank you, sweetie, for being such a great wife. Will you guys give her a big round of applause? All right. Thank you so much. Hey, um, I want to share with you just a couple of ideas. You know, um, we're going to put out some blogs to help encourage you and, and build you up in your marriage and parenting over the next several um, weeks to come. So look online for that. As well, I'm going to be starting a Facebook Live um, that I'll be launching on my, my personal Facebook. Uh, so if you want to friend request me over the next week or two, uh, we'll be launching that pretty soon. I'll answer Q&A and do some Q&A and do some additional teaching that I couldn't cover here in the service. Uh, perhaps more special topics that just won't uh, connect as well. Um, but I'll cover that on Facebook Live. I'll do that on Thursdays. You can go online to ryanrice.org and start submitting your questions if you'd like to do that. Um, and then as well, I want to encourage you to grab a book um, today. Those of you that are a guest, if you want a marriage book, say you, you just want some improvement in your marriage, I've got a number of different books that I think are really practical. These are from my personal library. I'll just give you one as a gift. Um, and then I would challenge all of you as uh, husbands and wives, is, and, and for singles too, but is to grab a book and be a reader. The, re, uh, the leaders are the readers, and be reading a lot. Um, get truth saturated into your heart and soul. We all need improvement. We all need help. We all struggle with sin. There's no perfect marriage. Uh, but where the, 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 there's truth, there's freedom. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that we'd live it out. Um, thank you for the, the, the beauty and the sim simplicity, Lord, when we do it your way. Um, it's not that it's easy. It is hard, but it's, it's very clear. And so I pray, Father, for these men that they would rise up and accept the biblical role of headship, which we'll learn more next week, and for the women to accept that divine calling of submission as unto the Lord. Uh, build up our marriages, Lord, in our church. And might we be uh, a light to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the culture around. When the world is falling apart, might we stand strong because we have your truth in us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, uh, before I jump off the stage, I just want to say thanks for your giving and serving. Yesterday, we had a, a CARES team uh, headed out to uh, serve somebody in need. Uh, there was a guy in our church. He found out that a, a girl in his uh, college class, uh, their house uh, almost burned to the ground. A shed caught on fire right next to their house. If the fire department didn't show up within just a few more minutes, the whole house would have burned down. So it was a big scare. It really destroyed a lot of their property. And our church team showed up, our CARES team showed up and started cleaning up and all that. So I want to say thank you to those of you who give and to serve in our church. Remember, if you got people in need and crazy needs around you, let them know we have a church family that really wants to help and support. So together we make a great difference when we're giving and we're serving. Amen? Amen. All right, let's continue to worship. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.